Hey, this is for all of our property manager friends of the podcast. Are you looking to add more properties this year? If so, you got to check out Venturi. These guys are at the forefront of what they do. You should see them at conferences, pack presentations, their booths are slammed, and Brooke, their founder, is a huge fan and supporter of the pod. Venturi has built the first and only software and services platform designed specifically to help property managers recruit homeowners and add new inventory to their rental programs. John, these guys are awesome. They can help you pull lists of vacation rental homeowners in your area and then even market to them across multiple channels from landing pages to chatbots and so many more booking tools. Venturi is here to help you collect leads. Their state-of-the-art CRM with marketing automation can help you easily track those leads and efficiently communicate with them across your entire team. The system can even automatically follow up with your leads instantly. Knowing that your leads are getting contacted right away is an awesome feature. The best part is if you sign up now, you can get a free homeowner marketing list and a free owner landing page. On top of that is 60 day money back guarantee. Venturi makes it completely risk-free to try it out. They will even send you a $50 Amazon gift card just for taking a demo. To learn more, go to Venturi.com forward slash no BS. That's V-I-N-T-O-R-Y.com forward slash no BS. Or just mention that you heard about them on the No BS short-term rental podcast. Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Good morning, Mateo. How are you, man? Oh, John. Fantastic, man. Does the answer change? No, it never day. does. Season two, episode 10. This is a special one for me. I'm pretty excited. We have an amazing guest who just happens to also, you know, be someone that I work with day in and day out. So we're pretty excited to go ahead and kick this off. But um, anything new between last week and this week for you? There's always lots of things going on. Nothing crazy. Nothing really crazy in the world going on. Just the, the year starting strong. Lots of good momentum going on lots of different fronts. It seems like everyone's just digging in and getting to work and getting our lives back to order. Travel looks like it's picking up. I'm rolling with the momentum, brother. It's, uh, it seems, I think the biggest news these past weeks are just more of um, everyone coming together as, a, you know, what are the shows going to be? There seem to be, you know, the Book Direct show. New um, show. Shout know, out to Will and, and Damien yeah, uh, for that. It's going to be in Miami. Looking forward to being in Miami. Yeah. November. Amy Hynote came out talking about all of her different shows that she's putting. I think she's yeah. got like five or six different regional shows and then plus the DARM conference. Yeah, yeah there's some, uh, some big things going on with regards to that. But let's go and let's not waste any time here. I want to this go has ahead. been a long time coming. We've been wanting her, uh, our guest today on for a while. Yeah, she's busy and, and she she put us off a little bit, but not her fault. Let's go ahead and introduce. I'm, I hope that's not a reflection of you, man. She oh, it totally is 100% to a reflection her off. of you. Yeah, okay. And she's, are you kidding? I have to do this. Susan Ho, revenue leader for Hopper Homes. Thanks for joining us, Susan. Mm-hmm having me glad i could finally make it this was not my fault john there was a press embargo until we launched homes so we finally did 
and we now just, I can talk nah, about it. Yeah, don't let him off the hook that easy. That's uh, that's all right. That's we just like giving shit um here on the no bullshit podcast. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, we're gonna talk Hopper. You know, and there's we've been in the media. There's a ton of amazing things that have been going on lately. But I want to go ahead and and learn. And I know our audience wants to learn a, a little bit more about who is Susan Ho. How did, you know, that journey. I get it. How did this person who has no background in the vacation rental industry end up running a, you know, division of a company that is building out their presence in vacation rentals? I think, well, he, how, yeah. How did you get into this yeah. space? Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it wasn't just Hopper, right? This, nope. Okay. No, and, and your resume is, if anyone were to just to go ahead and, and explore your resume, it's um, intriguing. And it's stop being nice. She does big things. Look at that resume. It's massively impressive. So how, how did you stumble in? What, what, why Hopper? Why vacation rentals? What put you here? I was running a travel concierge company for about seven years called Journey. So the whole premise of Journey was using tech and machine learning and AI to essentially democratize luxury level trip planning services. So instead of having to spend 10 to 20, $30,000 plus on a trip to be able to get somebody to custom design it for you, our customers could pay 25 or $50 per day of their trip. So basically if you have a four day trip, you pay a hundred bucks or 200 bucks for us to plan everything for you. The difference between the two pricing tiers is at the higher price, we actually take care of restaurant reservations for you. We give you live 24 seven chat access to your concierge. So if you're like, I'm running late for this reservation, can you let the restaurant know? You can chat us and we'll take care of that for you in real time. So that was the premise of the business. I raised a little over $4 million of venture capital funding for that company. And we were doing very well. We were growing really nicely. And then the pandemic happened. And that was a rough time, it's, I think, for It's for like everyone's story. It's like, and then <laughs> the pandemic story. happened. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And I remember Japan was our biggest market and was the, the most popular destination that we planned trips for. And I remember February 17th, that cruise ship in Yokohama Bay, Yokohama Bay. And we just had mass levels of cancellations from Japan. And then it spread to Italy, which was our second biggest market. And then it spread to Greece, which was our third biggest market. So, you know, it was just a cascade of from there. And uh, you know, I'm sure so many companies in this space can relate as well before people started realizing, oh, hey, staycations are a thing, or hey, I can travel domestically. And things started picking up for this, for, for this segment. We pivoted, we got two rounds of PPP funding to just try and survive. And it, it came to a point where, look, we said international travel is not going to come back anytime soon. And, you know, the writing on the wall and, and I have a team to protect I have a team of people who all, you know, left great jobs and great opportunities to join me on this crazy, you know, dream that I had. And my job was to make sure everyone else still had a job at the end of this. Had ran an entire acquisition process, ended up getting offers from Hopper and two other, one other large OTA everyone's familiar with, but I'm not allowed to say the name of because I signed lots of documents. And then <laughs> another large traditional media company in this space that also very high brand recognition, but again, I can't mention it. And ultimately Hopper was just the best opportunity. And it was a company that was really innovative, that was growing really quickly. 
and where I and the team were promised a lot of autonomy in how we work. John, you've seen how this play out, right? Like yeah. we basically are able to set our own roadmap. We're able to, to say, hey, here's what's important to this market if this is what we want to get done and we can do things our own way, which is so great compared to some of the other OTAs in this space that are very rigid in their approach. That's very interesting. So I, I want to back it up a little bit prior to you getting into Journey and really what made you make that decision. Prior to us coming live or, or, or recording, we were talking about things that you did in your past. You can look on your LinkedIn page and see that you were one of the co-founders of Fashion Week at Penn. And now you're seeing that you're coming into a concierge travel space, but you didn't just wake up overnight and be like, oh, I'm going to go here. Or was it that? Did you have a love of travel? Did your love of kind of fashion and lifestyle yeah, bring you I into mean, that space? Tell me a little bit about that. I, I always love travel. So when people ask me the question, where are you from? I'm like, deep breath, are you ready for this? So I was born in China. I left when I was three years old. I lived in Tucson, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon. When I was 11, I moved to Shanghai. I was in Shanghai American School, international school there for two years. And then I went to boarding school outside of Boston. I flew back and forth three or four times a year. By the time I hit college, and I was also flying back three or four times a year, I probably racked up half a million frequent flyer miles. Oh and so if, if somebody was like, hey, let's go meet in Paris for uh, this weekend, I'd say, all right, cool. I have a free flight. I can do that, which is completely ridiculous for a college kid. And that is how my love of travel came about. And the idea for Journey actually started at my second job out of school. So my first job out of school, I went to Wharton undergrad. I studied finance and marketing, was at the Boston Consulting Group. So I was uh, a consultant. I was a 22-year-old kid telling CEOs of billion-dollar companies what they should do with their business. So if you wonder where I get my swagger from, that's where. And the next job I took was at a e-commerce design fashion startup called fab.com, which was really at the heyday of flash sales, Guilt Group and Rulala and Ideal, like uh, Zulily, all of these companies were, were coming up around the same time. And fab was probably the fastest growing one of them all. The company raised 350 million plus dollars and tanked it all in two years. So that was a wild ride. But while on the upswing of it, I was there from about 100 employees to 700 employees. At the height of the company, I was 25 years old managing a team of 120 people across New York and Berlin that I had hired out and built. And there was a period when the CEO came over to my desk and was and basically said, you have to take a vacation in the next three months or you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> and my response is, okay, do you know how much I have to do? Like I had to do so much work to just clear my plate to be able to go on vacation, much less have time to plan my vacation. So I went with a friend of mine from college. She's an investment banker. So she's in the same boat. She's got zero time to plan this vacation. So we're able to book our flights. We're able mm -hmm. to book our hotel, but we basically land in Buenos Aires, our trip was to Argentina, and we ended up spending like 15 hours in our hotel room on really crappy Wi-Fi trying to figure out what to do and where to go. And we ended up in a restaurant surrounded by American tourists. And I think it was maybe three different nightclubs surrounded by 16-year-old boys, which was not <laughs> how we pictured our one big vacation a year going. Coming back from that experience, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm an internet savvy millennial. We had some time to research and plan, but not very much. And we have some disposable income, but why is it that I couldn't get a, a high quality vacation where I felt like, wow, I, I feel rested. I feel recharged. I feel culturally stimulated. Why was that so difficult? And me being like 
an ex-consultant, I started looking at the market and basically saw you either have on the one side these you know super luxury level experiences where the reason somebody can spend that amount of time with you is that they're getting a 10, 15, 20% cut of the $1,000 a night hotel that you're booking. So right. that's how they can compensate for their time that they're spending. Or you get something cookie cutter where you spend not that much money, but you're on a bus with 20 to 30 other people. And there wasn't anything in between. And uh, a lot of the work that I'd done at fab.com was around using technology to automate very manual processes. And then after fab.com as well, I consulted for a startup called LearnVest that also was using tech to democratize financial planning services, right? So basically they could offer financial planning services to the masses, to people who aren't millionaires. And that was all done through technology. Uh, and so I saw, I basically saw an opportunity to apply this, the same strategy to the travel planning space. Right. And that's how Journey started. How long, and that's an amazing story, but how long once Journey is started, how long were you, did you have a, a viable product to go ahead and sell? Like how long did it take to build the team up and how many of that team, those early team members are still with us today on this? And we'll talk about that here, but I'm curious about when did you go to market? Like Journey's here, but when did you actually take it to market and, and what did it look like at the beginning compared to when you, when it was acquired at the end? So I started taking it to market pretty much day one. I think when you um, are in the startup space, everyone talks about this lean startup mentality. And yeah. the whole point of the lean startup mentality and building out an MVP or a minimal viable product, which is exactly what we've done in Hopper Homes. And the whole purpose of doing that and launching as quickly as possible is to validate your riskiest assumption. Yeah. So when I first started Journey, my riskiest assumption was, can we actually plan a quality trip when I've never spoken to this person on the phone or met them in person, and we just go back and forth over email, and are they gonna trust me to actually plan it for them? And are they actually gonna go on the trip and take the recommendations? So I planned like the first 60, 70 trips by myself, just me alone, just like working and trip planning, sending out emails to friends, hey, who's got a trip coming up that they'll let me plan? People started coming back from those trips and raving about them and saying how great they were. My next riskiest assumption was, will people pay for it? And so I actually built the first version of Journey's website. I learned HTML and CSS. I learned how to code. And I spent some money putting Google ads against this landing page where people were searching for keywords like custom trip planning services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you'd basically go on the site and then click get started. We, we pretended like we had the product, but we didn't really have the product. Yeah. And then it would be like, oh, thanks for your interest. We're launching this product soon. If you're interested in hearing about it, put in your email. And I knew if I couldn't get at least 2% of people to even give me an email address, they sure as hell were never going to give me their credit card information. So that is the riskiest assumption that I had to test number two. And sure enough, about you know 5% of people put in their email. And so I said, all right, okay, there's something here. There's enough to continue. Cool. And then I got an engineer friend of mine to help me build out a Stripe integration where we actually started getting paid to do trip planning. And I think initially we charged 50 bucks per trip plan because it was just the easiest thing to do. We didn't want to calculate number of trip days or things like that. Again, right. MVP, somebody could have paid uh, 50 bucks and I planned a 10 day trip for them. That's insane. But I did that. <laughs> And uh, that was the point in which I felt like there was enough of a proof point there to go out and raise VC funding. And I took maybe a few meetings over the course of a month and we raised $600,000. Wow. That's amazing. 
we talk a lot about on this show about raising VCC. We talk about raising money and, and the struggles. Did you run into any struggles as a, a person of culture? Did you run into any issues with, with getting funding because you're uh, Chinese American? Or a woman? No, I think, I mean, yeah, yeah I think I ran into issues yeah, because I'm a woman. Bullshit. Let's talk Let's about that. And I think women get this all the time where we're basically looking at having to have series A level metrics to be able to raise um, a seed round. And, you know, what I had closed in 600K was a pre-seed. And then we built out the proof points for the product. And then I went out and I pitched probably 100 VCs in 2016 after, you know, we launched the mobile app and we built the whole backend database for Journey and all the concierge trip planning tools. But, you know, it, it at that point, it wasn't enough. I didn't spend enough money on marketing. And I think maybe... Uh, Again, who knows, but there's certainly the sentiment amongst female founders and in uh, the venture capital funding space where a woman will need series A level metrics to get a seed round and will need series B and C level metrics to be able to raise a series A, right? There's certainly that pervasive sentiment in the space, whereas uh, a, a man can show up with a great like PowerPoint presentation and a great vision and uh, this like huge market potential that they pitch and get funding. And the reason I ask, you know, I'll let kind of Mateo get into this is the struggles that he and Anthony and, and some of our others with diverse backgrounds are having just actually like being recognized as a viable yeah. and it's hard. It's it just it's it's terrible. Yeah, I feel like it's a broken record. I think we all know about it and we talk about it in back circles, right? It, it really speaks to what you just said. Certain people can go in and they'll their business plans are taken for what they are. When, you know, we, we go in and this isn't something native to Anthony, all right, like we've learned through this process, kind of what people go through and through conversations with, you know, d diverse founders, women, other people of color, you know, what they've had to go through. And it's less about their business, the quality of their business or their ideas and more about the other things that they have to hear and adhere to or and present to be taken seriously within that space because, there's a certain demographic that doesn't have to do that. They can come in and everyone's focused on what their product is, what yeah. their idea is, if it's a good idea. Yeah. You walk I in the room to... and they're like, well, what are you two black guys going to do about this? And we've heard that from someone up your way <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in in programs that we've been in. You know, yeah, you know, and, and, I, and, and I've and seen that firsthand. At one point, my co-founder and I, we were on a show produced by Apple called Planet of the Apps. And we had Gary V as our mentor advisor. And Gary was also mentoring another company run by a black founder. It was a, a comedy company, right? Where basically you like, it, it's like Tinder for comedians where you would see a comedian <laughs> and then you're like, okay, it's not funny, swipe left, or you can mm -hmm. keep watching and then you can see more stuff from the same comedian. Their engagement numbers were apparently crazy, insane. You and I can imagine how engaging a product like that could be. Right. And when they pitched um, the VC at the end of the show, the VC was basically like, I don't believe your numbers. Yep. And that's completely crazy. That is completely crazy. I faced the same thing. I had venture a capitalist and I had partners tell me, hey, really like you and your background, really like the idea of the business, but you're never going to make money doing this. Mm -hmm. Like the economics are never going to work. Mm -hmm. And I knew exactly what their objections were. And over the course of, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, right? 2018 was when, beginning of 2018, I ended up raising an extension of my pre-seed round at the same terms, raise another 300K. And this was right when 
at the end of 2017, I basically hit rock bottom. I was doing this Planet of the App show. The producers were flying me into LA. And then an investor said, hey, come in a day earlier. I'm having this, I'm throwing this event. You'll meet a bunch of investors. So I had the producers change my flight to a day early, a day earlier. But then I realized I have hotel for the next night, but not tonight. And so at the end of 2017, I, I had $50 in my bank account because I put everything into my company. I maxed out every credit card that I had. I was about to cash out my 401k to just be able to float the business a little bit longer. And I remember meeting with one of my then investors at the time who basically was like, his advice was, it's not going to get any worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> great advice. Great dude. advice. Great advice. Right. Uh, he was right. I ended up connecting with an investor at that event. It paid off. We raised 250K from that investor. We raised another 50K from another angel. And I really hunkered down. That was, I knew that this was my only shot that was left. And so we 5X the business that year. And we ended up getting to 60 to 70% positive gross margins on the trip planning fees because I knew that this would scale. I knew that at some point, look, we were planning... 700 trips to Japan in a given year. If you're going to Japan and you're going to Tokyo for the first time, you're traveling with a family of five, maybe you have celiac disease, you've got some dietary restrictions. Mm -hmm. We literally already had maybe half a dozen trips for people who had similar preferences and similar um, needs. And our trip designer could use that as a starting point for your trip. And so we made it so that our one Japan trip designer could plan 200 days of custom travel in two days of her time. Mm -hmm. That scales. That works right. out. Right. And I was right. just on a mission to prove everyone wrong. And so by the end of 2018, I went out to SF. I had nine meetings in two days. And I had a term sheet on Friday. I had another term sheet on Monday. I had another term sheet on Wednesday. And every one of my investors said, this is the fastest that we've ever seen a round close. And I, I just knew I had to be super, super overprepared. Every mm -hmm. objection that they had about the business back when I pitched in 2016, by the time 2018 rolled around, I had fixed. Wow. That's incredible. I, I don't think people really understand. Like you, you talk about it, and it it sounds like it, it's this linear thing that just happens one after one after one. But there's so much that goes into you that. You get knocked down over yeah. and over again. It is a know? lesson in perseverance for sure. Yeah, and seven years is a really long time. I think most people will call it quits after about two years, typically. And I, I don't like being wrong. <laughs> I don't like when people tell me I can't do something. So copy that. <laughs> let's fast forward that let's fast forward to all right, pandemic. We're here now. All right. Your shit's not working because no one's you can't go to Japan. No international travel's done. You know, your journey is not a viable domestic option. No one really needs a trip plan, yeah, you know, we, to yeah, that extent. I mean, we, we, we tried that. It's okay. You want to go to a national park. Everything's available online in English. You can right. figure it out. You got this. Whereas you want to go to Japan. It's do people speak the language. I'm not sure. How do I even make a restaurant reservation when, you know, there's no open table? I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> how Very how do you go ahead and, and go from, so you pitch out there, you're looking for acquisitions. The main reason is you have a vested interest and a responsibility to your team that you built and that believe in you and what you and your co-founder have built up here. Where does it, you know, you, you chose Hopper, well, but what yeah. exactly does that mean? And, and how did that start? And I know, and I think if I remember correctly, that was May, a few, like five months before I came on board here, but tell us about that and, and why yeah. journey for Hopper? 
Yeah, that's when we started. When we, we started in May, but we had inked the deal a few months before. When I started to tell the market that we were interested in an aqua hire process, one of the engineers that we actually had interviewed to be head of engineering for Journey, we ultimately turned him down because he didn't align with our tech stack and it would have taken him a long time to get onboarded, et cetera, et cetera. He ended up joining Hopper and, and he was a lead engineer uh, at Hopper. And so when we were checking in during the pandemic, I told him where we were and he basically connected me with Dakota, the chief strategy officer at Hopper. And we just very quickly kicked off uh, a whole interview process for myself and for the key members of the team. And Hopper pretty much very quickly made the decision, okay, cool. We want to bring your team on board. It was the fastest, smoothest process ever. So any company in the travel business out there, if you're looking you know, for a quick exit because you are running out of money soon and Hopper put together this deal so quickly, they've done it where a business was running out of money and wasn't going to make payroll by Monday. And by Friday, they had you know, inked the docs to get everybody to start on Monday. So to get a great team on board. And Hopper will basically say, look, our, the biggest constraint to this business growing is great leadership and great talent. And so mm -hmm. my team came with myself, my head of engineering, my head of ops, and my co-founder, our customer service manager initially, and then an amazing designer, right? So we started with five people and that was huge, the, the huge shout out deal. to the, the original Hopper Homes team. Big shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we later on had three engineers who also joined. Those three engineers initially basically said, look, as an engineer, you have a bajillion opportunities. So they basically said, okay, we trust you guys and we trust Journey, but we don't really trust Hopper yet. We're not sure. But after a month of us joining Hopper, we basically said, wow, everything that they promised us around having ownership, around having the resources to build out um, this team and this vertical the right way, like we're getting that. And so within a month, our senior iOS engineer, a backend engineer, and then another front end engineer leader all joined and, and returned to the team. So that's huge. Even though we had no background within the vacation rental industry, Hopper's mentality is we're going to hire really smart people and we're going to bring on really smart people and we're going to trust them. They're going to break something down into first principles and figure it out. And so I maybe only knew about a month before we actually joined Hopper that they were thinking about having us work on vacation rentals. Wow. And, and for those who don't know, and maybe it's good for us to go a little bit into Hopper. So you, you look into Hopper, you see Goldman Sachs, John, there's this idea that the big bad companies that are coming into the VC area and the VC space, talk about like, how is that affecting in, in your guys' experience with Hopper? Goldman's a big bank. They, they hold a lot of weight and a lot of muscle, but also a lot of experience and resources. So how has that been? And is their influence felt? with what you guys do in your experience? I can't really speak to that. I'm not in those conversations. That's probably a question for Fred, the CEO, for Dakota, the chief strategy officer. I do know that there's a, a huge push within Hopper to want to maintain our own independence, right? Mm -hmm. Technically, look, Hopper could potentially IPO today, but mm -hmm. we don't want to IPO as a small cap company on tech company on the NASDAQ where a large investor could concentrate ownership and then start to tell us what to do. Right. Right. That's big. And, and we're, that's not what we're looking for. That's all I can say on that piece. To expand, but not to expand the different parts of Hopper being, you know, there's flights, hotels, cars, now homes, and there's also Hopper Cloud. We all work very independently. We're siloed different different pieces. And, yeah. you know, and Susan mentioned that earlier. So a lot of our focus is 
how do we go ahead as in Hopper Homes and put out the best possible product for we obsess and Hopper obsesses over our customers. That is our part of our our thread of who we are here at Hopper. And by obsessing over our customers, we have the ability to go ahead and really understand yeah. what the vacation rental you know market yeah, means. And- And everything is about working backwards from what the customer wants. And so when I came on board, it was not great. We're going to enter this space and we're just going to throw our hat in the ring like another competitor. It really was, how do we break this down? What do people not like about shopping for vacation rentals currently? What's challenging for them in the market? And when we looked at our customer base, so much of it was frustrations around price, around um, the price not being transparent enough around it being really hard to compare prices or know that you're getting the best deal. The second most you know, pressing issue was around cancellation policy being really unclear and confusing and payment yeah. policies being really inflexible. And so those were issues, those were things that Hopper is so great at. Hopper is so great at pricing. We see this and we've done this in other verticals as well. We'll multi-source inventory so that we are making sure that we're giving you the channel at which that is offering the absolute best price for you. So you can trust that you should just always book on Hopper. The only reason not to book on Hopper is because you like to pay more. That's one of our, the key parts of our strategy. The second part then is around how do we address the cancellation payment policy flex piece, right? Mm -hmm. And you see all of the FinTech products that we've launched in air and hotels, all of this gives the traveler peace of mind to protect their investment in travel. So we have cancel for any reason insurance and air change for any reason insurance. We're in hotels, we'll price our own free cancellation rate on top of the hotel's lowest non-refundable rate. And if you want to get your money back and you want to cancel last minute, you get 80% of your money back in cash or 100% back as carrot crash or hopper credit. And imagine applying that model to the vacation rental space where cancellation policies are typically 30 to 60 days. An owner who has a few properties, they're going to be out a ton of cash if somebody cancels last minute. And so those policies are pretty set. And for that owner, what Hopper pricing their own, our own free cancellation policy does is allows you to enjoy the upside benefit of increased conversion rate without Mm -hmm. taking on the risk. If the customer ends up canceling, like we pay you out in full as if the customer did not cancel. Yep. And that was a tidal wave. Let's like we were talking about news earlier. I knew we were going to get into it, so I didn't want to, you know, really address it. But when that dropped, the the conversations going on within the industry, people like Andrew from Rented saying this is the biggest thing since Airbnb bringing renting rooms to the market. It's huge, and anybody who you know is a manager and from the manager side of the business is not used to a platform really building rules that work for them, right? It's usually like, hey, if you want these bookings, you gotta take these, you gotta take these rules regarding cancellation and others. This blows that up. And now you see something that's actually a value add. And again, I'm not selling the product, but I think the concept, we're talking the concept is actually something that's very beneficial to managers within the space because it does insulate those businesses. As a manager, when I lose bookings, that hurts, that hurts the bottom line. That hurts my owners, that hurts my business and my and my ability to actually run my business. So that's crazy. I, I don't know how much you're gonna get into that, but I, I hope it's successful and I hope others follow suit because I think that will give the industry strength and the ability to move on and the ability to mitigate the risk that we all know happens. Life happens when people cancel. And if you don't have to keep getting the short end of the stick, I think that's great for the business. And that's something that 
look, it's really early, right? We're still in MVP stage and there's a lot of, of work that we have to do to just catch up on the experience that some of our competitors have built, but we'll do that very quickly, just given the speed and the cadence that we've been working so far. I mean, in terms of what we launch in homes, that's about four months of development work. Like we did that in four months. Okay. So very early days. I think everything that Hopper does is so intentional. It's so much about working backwards from a desired outcome. And it's so much about how do we move really quickly to test the key assumptions that really matter. And so there's a lot up in the air, I, I think, with this product. What is the cancellation window actually look like? Do customers actually want and will pay extra for a 24-hour policy? Is a 48-hour policy enough? Is a one-week policy enough, right? Like these are all potential questions that you know we're going to be asking as we roll out this product. And to kind of piggyback off of that, those questions like need data to back it. So as yeah. reservations come in, so this MVP product that, that, that Hopper is pushing out is exactly that. We need reservations. We need more data to go ahead and, and calculate those risks. And what does that actually look like? I know that when I came on board, I came on my first day as actually I met Susan in uh, San Antonio at Verma International. I was day one. I think it was October 2nd, mm-hmm. which was crazy to come to be a first day. Uh, it's that's actually the second time I've done that. My yeah. first day at track was also at Verma International two years prior. But mm-hmm. I spent my first two and a half months interviewing property managers asking them, hey, I know we're, we're in, I'm, I now work for an OTA, that dirty word, but that necessary evil, how do we build an OTA that doesn't suck? How do we do that? And, and we've mm-hmm. take, took all this knowledge and, and, and really put it in thoughtfully, just an amazing team behind, behind us and that we're working on here and put in a pretty significant product out. And was that a record, Susan, four months from development to release internally? I think it might've been. Yeah. And again, we just, we want to move quickly. We want to be able to start getting data as, as early and as soon as possible so we can shape the proper direction of the product and not operate blindly. And kind of something that, that John was alluding to earlier too, is that we have dedicated resources within Hopper to not to try to approach the space in, in the best way possible. Many of the other OTAs in the space were sort of, Hey, how do we fit this into our hotels? business model, right? It was very intentional for Hopper to have a completely separate team with our own resources, our own headcount, our own engineers, our own data scientists, our own product managers who are working and dedicated to this space. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that came up in all of our chats and, and conversations with property managers is just how important and key a really smooth onboarding process is. And so we're building and investing in an onboarding portal to make that a really smooth process. And we have very lofty goals and being able to say, hey, you can get your properties live on Hopper within this like certain period of time, like within you know less than an hour, right? That's These are some of the loftier goals that we're working towards in this space to make it so that we're the best OTA to work with. Let's talk where we are now with like, what can you talk about with regards to where Hopper Homes is going? I know you you just started alluding like onboarding and stuff like that. I know obviously from internally, we are, we're building out a significant onboarding team. We're putting a lot of resources into account management, but like, where do you see Hopper Homes in a year or a year from launch with regards to, to say like market share and where we're going in the future? Like I said, it's really early, but if you look at our hotels business as an analog for what could be possible within homes, look, we're doing over $2 billion worth of travel. And for the first Mm -hmm. time, like more than half of that is no longer just air, 
And a good chunk of that is the hotels business, which is less than two years old. You can do the math on how big is the opportunity for homes. And we are already seeing that for homes, right, that like the hopper customer, given that the customer is younger, more Gen Z, more millennial, this is a group that is twice as likely than the average traveler is to want to book a home over a hotel. And when we survey our customers, we know 40% of them actually prefer a vacation rental home to a hotel. Only 35% have said, I prefer a hotel to a home. So if you think about these numbers and you think about where the hotel business at Hopper is today, you can put two and two together and see how big our ambitions are for this space within a short period of time. It's impressive. One of the things that I see in what I like, and actually, again, going back to something we were talking about earlier is the use of technology. And we look at the vacation rental industry and the short-term rental industry has not always been at the forefront of technology and using technology for its business. I see it from a different aspect and something that you said earlier when you were talking about your experience at Journey in using technology as an equalizer actually bring travel to a broader audience to make it more affordable to allow this experience to be not just for those of means or, or wealthy, but to, you know, yeah. other people like, how do you bring that mindset into what you do at Hopper? And how will that help you, you know, translate not just to millennials and others, but as you enter into the vacation rental space that isn't very heavily millennial, it's pretty, it's a mixed bag. Yes, they're there, mm-hmm. but you also have people who are still you not used to booking on websites or not used to OTAs or don't like OTAs in that space. How are you using technology as a strategy to, you know, make that, you know, an option for them? Yeah. It's about solving the problems for them that really matter. Yeah. We look at some of the products that we have in air and in hotels where we'll basically say, Hey, look, if Hopper tells you to book this flight right now because we think the price is right and this is hopper's bread and butter of of business we're 95 percent accurate at telling you um if your flight price is going to go up or down and we basically say hey if we tell you to buy and you buy we'll include auto price drop protection for free and it's the same thing on the hotel side we'll include price drop protection where hey if we detect a lower price for this particular hotel we'll we'll rebook you and and we'll, we'll let you know so you can rebook right at the lower rate that's huge That's something that is going to get people to book with us versus anywhere else, because the process of having to do that manually, imagine if you're a customer and you know that the market works this way, you're setting calendar reminders for yourself, you're what have you. I think obviously that's harder to do in vacation rentals where um, the inventory is so unique and you just have this one particular home. And that's why for the vacation rental side of the market, we're much more focused on something like cancellation rate, something like cancellation policies or even flexible payment policies. What do you say to, to those that are listening that are, you mentioned millennials, Gen Zers as being Hopper's biggest demographic. Like what about some of the stuff we're doing and Hopper's doing with our, our Hopper cloud? Like how does that balance out? You and I both know that we have 70 million downloads of the app and we have millions of daily users of the Hopper app. But what are some of the other things that are, are available that we're going to be bringing to the uh, Hopper home side? Yeah, again, still very early. You've seen how we started to distribute some of our products through Hopper Cloud to other major players. If you go to kayak.com, you'll see price freeze as a product that's powered by Hopper. And you can potentially see that some of our other unique inventory and, and things like that or unique product offerings that we have at Hopper could potentially be of interest to, you know, the Hopper Cloud customer base as well. And that's something that's growing. It's an er, it's an early business, but it, it's definitely part of 
our future strategy to think about what are all of the potential things that Hopper does really well that we could potentially partner with somebody on and expand the distribution for. I will say that the the, the kind of the Gen Z millennial customer base is, is such a is such a great area for a lot of property managers to focus on, given that Matteo you mentioned that typically the market is much older, that is an older customer, et cetera, et cetera. But when we have something like variants of Delta, Omicron, every cycle of COVID that's happening, that younger traveler is the traveler that's still traveling. Whenever we see that there's a spike that's happening, Hopper is gaining share in the market every time it happens because Mm -hmm. our traveler sees that, oh, wow, flight prices are down. I'm much less risk averse and I'm going to go and travel. It's a big part of why Hopper doubled our revenue in 2020 despite COVID. So it's a great customer base that's incremental that hedges for some of those periods in which your typical traveler may be a little bit more conservative and wary about traveling. And and I think it's what's important to to remember is like the word millennial used to be a scary word for those in business, especially in the like what I don't even know like how old a millennial is like what's the top like but it's actually not as young as I think in my head being. Oh, no, I mean I, I think like, like I think millennials are I think we're up to like, 38, 30. Yeah, it's insane. You know? Like and so like people think oh millennials millennials it's not it's it's not even what. And so I think that we need to change the the definition or like the internal definition of what say homeowners and property managers might think of the word millennial and and actually think of oh those are people in their in their thirties that's that's actually that's exactly who we're looking for these are people with they're just starting families or have small thing you know it's something to think about you talked about uh, growth here and I know we only have about ten more minutes so I want to go ahead in something that was pretty crazy we just did a another race. I think it's a G1 raise. When I came on in October, we were at a 3.5 billion valuation for Hopper. And in just four, five months or so, we've now, we're now up to a 5 billion valuation. We talked about being happy with private and staying here and there's no rush. We could go today, but there's no rush to go to, to a public offering. You know, what does that lift do for, for Hopper? And where do you see and how that affects where our trajectory? You mean the most recent raise of being at five plus billion dollars and, yeah. and what, like what the context was behind that? Yeah. So I, I think a big part of it too is look, we're, we want the public number valuation of Hopper to accurately reflect the true value of Hopper today. And the reason we want to do that, a big part of it is actually being able to attract talent. And when we issue, when we bring on talent, people get stock options in the company. And that's a big part of why you might join a startup, right? Because you want the shares and you want to share in the upside, but they need to be valued properly and pegged properly to the market so that we can attract the absolute best talent. So a big part of it, I would say, is, is around that. It, Hopper cares a tremendous amount about the employees and making sure that our top performers are compensated really well. And a big part of that is ensuring that publicly our valuation is reflective of all of the growth that we've seen in the business. We 2X the business in 2020, we 4X in 2021. And that should be reflected in the valuation. And our last valuation at $3.7 billion, that was a 3X in an eight month period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and we've done even better than that recently. So 
I, I think that's what you're you're gonna see. And and you know, we're really competitive when it comes to hiring the best talent. Literally, if you pass our interview bar, we do everything we can to make it so that comp is not the reason that you choose to go somewhere else. Interesting fact. I'm glad you brought that up because I read something on LinkedIn yesterday that I found absolutely fascinating. I can say their name because it was actually, I'm just referencing it, but Amazon is just announced mm-hmm. that it is raising its salary cap for upper level employees, I think for v- VP tiered employees to $350,000 a year uh, across mm-hmm. the board. The number that was astonishing to me was last year, they lost 50 VP level people within that company. And I know Amazon's mm-hmm. huge, but that seems like a very high level when you're talking about upper level management, VP level positions to lose 50 of those. What does that say about your work culture? Because clearly I'm sure they had stock options and other things. Money's just not it. And we're seeing in this talent crisis, money is not the only consideration now. In yeah. This you know, world. you also, you also have work-life balance, want a culture that respects that you have a life outside of work. Right. And I, I say to our team as well, look, you put yourself first, put your family and your health first. We're doing important work here, but we're not curing cancer. And there needs to be that perspective. Otherwise, people get burnt out. It, it's no secret that a lot of the employees at Amazon, they stay for maybe a couple of years and they get completely mm-hmm. burnt out. They earn some stock and they get that upside and then they leave. And that's not what we want at Hopper. We want people who are in it for the long haul. We want people who are around for four, five, six, 10 plus years. That's the ideal, right? And we're really committed to creating a great work culture around that. And also we care about compensating our team fairly. And I can attest that it has to be delivered. I want to just jump in here real quick. I mean, Susan and Danny was the original and like this, and, and the whole team, is the reason I'm here. Yes, I'm compensated well. I'm, I'm taken care of. I, I love this team, but it was the vision. It was the coming in early to actually help build something and, and to be a part of something that's truly, you know, I saw it as an amazing, not just an amazing opportunity, but really something groundbreaking in the VR space, which that's where I'm never leaving. I'm like the vacational space, space is a hundred percent my, my vested interest and, mm-hmm. and to kind of it was like a great marriage for me. Like I came and I said, wow, the, the vision and the core and then the nucleus of what they're building here is pretty special. And I need to be a part of that. And it has to be deliberate. I think it's, it's one of those things that, that I think companies are going to really have to address their culture moving forward, especially within this talent crisis everyone's talking about. You know, I think it's, I think it's a good thing because I think it's going to allow people to recalibrate because if you don't do these things deliberately, the machine will run towards pushing to the max, right? That's if you don't do these things, if you don't put these breaks in place, people will run themselves out. They'll run themselves to death. And I think we've seen that over the past decades of what, you know, our work-life expectations have been. Yeah. And hopefully coming out of the pandemic. And and especially with the pandemic, right? The Mm -hmm. time that people used to commute and maybe it took them an hour to commute to work and an hour back. I saw a survey recently that asked people, what did you do with that hour? You know, that extra hour. And most people said, but I ended up working. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> right. take that time for myself. I ended up just putting it into work. <laughs> right. Right. Hey, Susan, I, I know you have to, you have to go. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Is there anything you'd like to leave our, our listening audience with? Come work with Popper Homes, either <laughs> as a property manager or come in and throw your hat in the ring and apply. 
Awesome. Thanks again. We really appreciate you. And we hope to get you and or some of our other upper executives on maybe in a six month update, see where we're at and see where we've done. Keep setting the bar. 